hearts and needs that are represented. And I bless them in Jesus' name. I bless those that are offering up prayer requests, just like Eli blessed Hannah. I speak a blessing over you. May the Lord give you the desires of your heart. And may it spring forth quickly in Jesus' name. I release that out now here at the Feast of Tabernacles. And Lord, we thank you for miracles in Jesus' name. I'm going to continue the series on the priesthood. Is everybody ready? There's actually got recordings and everything ready. All right. All right, I'm going into number nine, talking about the golden altar of incense. I had this picture of Dick Rubin in here. He was a, as a Jewish man. He gave his life to the Lord. And the Brownsville Revival had a lot to do with the groundwork that Brother Rubin laid and in this picture was the early days of the revival. And he was offering up incense on the golden altar of incense. And Brother Kilpatrick said that Dick Rubin laid the foundation for the revival. And that as he taught the series on the priesthood, that that played a large role in the revival springing forth. And so I wanted to have that picture here because as I've been going through this series, early on what I was talking about was... That there was a prophecy that revival would begin in Pensacola and then it would move 50 miles west. So we know that the revival broke out in Pensacola and we know that it's moved 50 miles west. Then it would spread up the east coast to the northeast. It would cross diagonally across our nation to the southwest, which I'm assuming is around Southern California, go up the Pacific coast to the Pacific northwest. And when it got there, whether that's Washington, Oregon, whatever, I don't know, but in that northern Pacific Northwest area, <clears throat> when it hit there, all of America would be ablaze in the fires of revival, and Dallas, Texas would be the hub of the revival. Okay, So we're in the midst of that momentum. A great awakening is beginning, and God is on the move. I'm telling you, God's not through with America. I believe we have a great revival, a great awakening that is beginning to come forth in our nation. So that is the heart of where I'm coming from. And the Brownsville Revival in many ways was just an outer court experience, which Lila Turhune talked about that. They had all the salvations, which was the brazen altar. Then they had all of the uh, those powerful water baptismal services, which is the laver. But Brownsville, I don't believe, crossed the threshold into the holy place, but I believe that's where it's going. Inside the holy place, I believe, is more... Um, healings, miracles, signs, and wonders, more deliverance and the baptism in the Holy Spirit, more of that than what Brownsville was seeing. Brownsville was more about the souls, even though all of that took place. It was more about the souls being saved. There's a lot of different moves of God. But all these streams are beginning to come together and form one mighty river. And I'm telling you, revival's coming. So I'm trying to, as a pastor, lay the groundwork of foundational work in your lives that's going to prepare you for the days ahead. Because one of these days, when revival, when America is fully blazing the fires of revival and Dallas is the hub, things are going to look a lot different than they do right now. The landscape as we know it spiritually of this area will be radically altered. In that time, there's going to be people that come up and others that come down. 
there's going to be a radical shift. And the things that we know right now in the body of Christ are going to be radically different, I'm telling you. And things that have been difficult and stubborn will become easy. But as I go into this, we talked about coming through the gate, the gospel. We talked about going to the bronze altar, which is the cross. I preached on that. I talked about the labor, which is water baptism and the, the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. And we moved into the holy place, which is where we're at. Inside the holy place to the right, we talked about the table of showbread, which is communion. Last week, we talked about the lampstand, which is the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And this week, I want to talk about the golden altar of incense. What is it? What does it mean? How is it you know, symbolic to us today as Christians? How many knows the veil was ripped? So now, that's why the writer of Hebrews says this. He says, behind the second curtain, this is the Holy of Holies, was a room called the Most Holy Place, which had the golden altar of incense and the gold-covered Ark of the Covenant. The golden altar of incense was not in the Holy of Holies. So why in the world would the writer of Hebrews say that? The reason why is because the veil's been ripped. So now the golden altar of incense is in the Holy of Holies and the Holy Place together. But the reason why he puts it together is because worship is what brings the glory. And worship is what takes you into the Holy of Holies. So here's the pattern. If we know that a lot of ministries and churches out there don't have the glory, and if we be honest, we know that a lot of them don't, then why do people keep doing the same thing over and over if they know that they're not getting the glory of God in their midst? That's the question. So we need to go back to the Bible and look at the pattern. That's the reason why I have the pattern in here that we have. Follow me in this. First off, when we begin our services, we take a moment to examine ourselves at the labor. As people pray and they ask the Lord, is there any sin I need to confess? Is there any person I need to forgive? Because we're taking communion at the beginning of the service. So we first start out by examining ourselves, as the Bible says. That's the laver. And at the laver, which is the Word of God, you look at that laver, you look into it, and it's, it's, a, it's got the water there, but it looks like a mirror. You can see yourself. You see your reflection in the Word of God. And so you pray, Lord, just go through the Ten Commandments. Is there any idols? Is there anything in my life that's too important to me that shouldn't be in my life? It's holding me back. Wash me in your blood. Is there anything in my life as far as using your name in vain where my mouth has been careless, I've been saying things I shouldn't say? Is there any area where I've been dishonoring toward my parents? I'm talking about the Ten Commandments. This is the labor. Lord, is there any area of dishonesty in my life, lying, stealing, any character flaws there? Is there anything in the way of adultery of the heart, looking with lust, anything that's, that's sexually unclean? Is there any murder in my heart? That's hatred. Jesus said that that when you have hate in your heart, it's the same as murder. Is there hatred? Is there anger? Is there bitterness? Is there unforgiveness? All of that is in that area of murder. Is there any hatred and bitterness in my heart toward people? And then covetousness. Is there anything in my life that's covetous? Is there an area in my life where there's a love of money, greed, things like that? And you're going down through these Ten Commandments, and this is the labor. You're examining yourself. And I'm telling you that if more Christians would do this, if more ministers would do this, more churches would do this, there would be less people falling into sin. 
So you examine yourself at the laver and get washed in the blood of the Lamb. You get holy, you get clean, and then we go from that into taking communion together. We start our services taking the Lord's Supper. The awesome power of communion. I'm not going to go back over it. I preached a whole sermon on it. And then from that, we look at the lampstand, which is the mighty anointing of the Holy Spirit, the move of the Holy Spirit. The importance with that is, is having unstructured services where the Holy Spirit can move and do what He wants to do. That's the problem. A lot of places have everything so structured, it's so stinking organized, that at 10.15 they're going to do this, at 10.17 they're going to do this, at 10.21 they're going to do this, and they structured everything so much, the Holy Spirit can't move at all. He's not welcome to move. But if you'll break that off, And you'll come to the lampstand and say, Holy Spirit, come do what you want to do. Be the Lord of this service. I heard one person say, you know, the Bible says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. And they said that that can actually be translated where the Spirit is Lord, there's liberty. So in other words, where the Spirit is in control, where He has Lordship, there, there's liberty. So you ask the Holy Spirit to come and do what He wants to do. Let Him move. This is the pattern of our services. I'm trying to show you why we do what we do. And then we go into a time of worship. That's the golden altar. So the priest would start on the outside in the outer court, and they would get a coal from the altar outside. There was wood that was burning. They always cut up the sacrifices there. It represented Calvary. And he would take a a hot coal from that. And he would go inside the holy place up to the golden altar which was about three feet high, and he would put that, um, that coal on the altar, and he would sit there and burn incense. And that incense would fill that place. It would go up like a smoke, and that smoke would fill that entire place. And as he sat there and worshiped the Lord, that is what takes you into the Holy of Holies. That's what takes you into the glory. It's the worship. And I want people to really get this tonight because it is our freedom and praise and worship that brings the glory, okay? So y'all pray with me just for a moment about this word tonight. Father, we bind any distraction or hindrance. Lord, I ask you to lock people in tonight to give you their best ear and full attention. Lord, give them good fertile soil. Help them, Lord, to get this word. Speak through me, but we bind distractions and hindrances. And Lord, in Jesus' name, help us to get focused tonight and give you our best ear. We thank you for it. So as they would burn that incense, incense was made up of four parts, and it represents praise, worship, prayer, and intercession. And as you worship the Lord, then the glory comes in. And when the glory comes, then the miraculous starts happening. Healings and miracles break out. Are y'all hearing me? This is the pattern. Now, the thing about the Lord is the Lord does not change. Therefore, his patterns don't change. But let me say this, the Lord's methods are always changing. He's not doing what he did in the 50s. He's not doing what he did in the 40s. He's not doing what he did at the turn of the century. He's he's doing something new today. There's a fresh anointing. There's new wine. There's a new revival. But as far as the patterns of God, the patterns are eternal. Because they're based on his character and who he is. They don't change. And so the priest would burn that incense, and that incense would fill that place, and it would take him. Some scholars believe that that incense being burned 
would literally transport him supernaturally through that veil into the Holy of Holies. But let me give you a few things tonight. You know, one of the more popular anointing oils, not that it matters, let me say up front, that it doesn't matter what anointing oil you use. I've heard of people in situations where they had no oil, they used Crisco and somebody was healed. So don't tell me that it has to be a certain way. But let me tell you, one of the more popular anointing oils has been the frankincense and myrrh, which I like. And it's, it's interesting because if you think about it, we're talking about the Feast of Tabernacles today. And the Bible says that the Word became flesh and tabernacled among us. That's Jesus coming. And people believe, scholars believe Jesus was born on the Feast of Tabernacles. He certainly was not born on December 25th. We know that. But he was born at the Feast of Tabernacles, which is right at this time frame right now. And whenever the Bible says that he comes back again, he's coming back again to tabernacle among us. So the Feast of Tabernacles has to, come, has to do with his glory coming, with his presence coming, with him tabernacling among us. Okay? And I thought it was interesting because when Jesus came the first time, what was there was the frankincense, the myrrh, and the gold. Are y'all following me? The frankincense, the myrrh, and the gold. And I thought it was neat that in these last days, God has kind of put it on people's hearts, especially in revival circles, to have frankincense and myrrh as far as anointing oil. Isn't that interesting? Right before he comes. And I believe we're living in the last days, which is pointing to the tabernacle. The tabernacle of him coming once again and tabernacling among us. But also, I believe this. Not only is the promise of the tabernacles that he's coming to the earth again, but also the promise is that he will come right now and tabernacle among us. His glory will come in among us. So the outer court area was 1,500 as far as the circumference. And it represented the, the 1,500 years of the law. The holy place is 2,000. You do the math. It represents um, the... I'm sorry, the church age. And then the Holy of Holies is 1,000. And it represents the 1,000-year reign of Christ. Let me talk to you about the golden altar just for a minute. This is really powerful. The golden altar with four horns. The blood is applied yearly. Every year they had to apply the blood to that golden altar. Why? Because sometimes even our worship has to be sanctified and made holy. As people get off, they get into other things. But it was the golden altar of incense, which was straight ahead. When you came into the holy place, it was straight in front of you, right before you went into the Holy of Holies. It stood before the veil of the Holy of Holies. It was the third piece of furniture in the holy place where the incense was burned. It was made of acacia wood overlaid with gold. It stood higher than any other article of furniture in the holy place. That's interesting. It stood higher than anything else. I believe because it represents the importance of worship. It was one cubit square. And it had around the top of it a crown of gold. Anytime you see a crown, it represents authority. And I believe there's a lot of authority that comes in when we start moving in worship. 
It has four golden horns, just as the bronze altar in the courtyard. And of course, there were rings on the side to carry it. Those four horns around it, four is the number of the earth. It represents the north, south, east, and west. This is where you get blowing the shofar over the north, south, east, and west and calling in the harvest. That's where you get that from. The pattern was laid out in the tabernacle. A friend of mine had a really powerful vision one time as he was praying. He said that he saw, as people were worshiping, he saw these coals of fire descending into the meeting. You remember Isaiah? He said, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. He saw the Lord. He had an encounter with the Lord. And there was an angel that came and touched the coal from the altar, touched the coal to his lips, and he was sanctified. His mouth was cleansed. The thing about that, it goes back to the pattern of the tabernacle. Because the bronze altar where that coal was from represents what Jesus did for you on the cross. And so the Lord can literally take like a sanctifying work from that and touch it to your life and do a deep purging in you. See, you have the the wood of the altar, which is the cross. That was what the coal is. But you also have the fire of the Holy Spirit. When you have the awesome power of the blood of Jesus and the fire of the Holy Spirit, there's a deep sanctifying work that happens in you. And some of us need that. There's areas of our lives that need a deep purging of the Lord. Incense had to be burned every day. It shows the importance of praise and worship, prayer and intercession in our lives daily. Revelation 5.8 says, The four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp. And they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. The golden bowls full of incense. This goes back to the tabernacle. What is the incense? It's the prayers of God's people. So you got to understand something. These Tuesday night prayer meetings, some people don't even know because they've never been here or whatever. But when the intercessors are groaning and travailing in the spirit and your, your intercession is going forth, like the Bible talked about, with, with groans that can't be uttered and there's, there's weeping and there's... You know, the Bible says you sow with tears, you reap in joy, but that that weeping and that travailing, that's going up into God's throne as an incense. Literally as an incense. And it's in these golden bowls. It's not forgotten. It's not in vain. You may not always see in your generation the answer to your prayers, but it's still something that's sitting in heaven as a memorial before the Lord. That's why when the angel came to Cornelius, he said, your prayers... And your alms to the poor have come up before God as a memorial offering. That was the incense of his prayers. You know, when the Bible talks about the sons of the prophets, you read that a lot in the Old Testament. Did you know when it talks about the sons of the prophets, you almost never see anything good? Have you ever noticed that? It's always negative. And you know why that is? Because a lot of times I've seen this, I'm going to say this, you know, as respectful as I can. But a lot of times when somebody's blazed a trail and they've really got a mantle, they've been used of God in a powerful way. There's people that come in behind them, whether it's a biological child or a spiritual child or people that are coming in behind and just trying to carry on the ministry. And a lot of times they don't have hardly anything compared to what the spiritual father had. You see what I'm saying? Why is that? Because a lot of times people are lazy and they try to ride somebody else's walk with God. 
And then when they're dead and they have to do it themselves, they don't have any roots. See, it should be like Elijah passing the mantle to Elisha, that it should increase. Each generation should increase. But a lot of times people come to church or whatever and they get a fresh touch from God and they don't realize it, but they're really riding the anointing of someone else. And they're not themselves really going deep in prayer, getting in the word, paying a price to really have something with God for themselves. But they're riding the mantle of another man or woman of God. And then when they pass on, it's shallow what follows. It shouldn't be that way. But you know, just like with Elisha, when it was time for Elisha to die and pass the mantle, Gehazi had disqualified himself and he was out of the picture. And instead of the mantle going to another awesome prophet like it should have, it just soaked down into his bones into a tomb. And then you read a story where they killed somebody and threw a dead man in his tomb, not realizing they were doing that. But as soon as that dead man hit Elisha's bones, he raised from the dead. goes to show that that anointing, that mantle was still in his bones. Now that's a powerful story, but at the same time, it's a bittersweet story because it's sad because that mantle should have went to another man of God somewhere that would have picked it up and done great exploits. But Gehazi did not have the depth to him that Elisha had. So the question is, individually people have to ask themselves, are we going to go deep in prayer ourselves? Are we going to go deep and worship ourselves? Are we going to have some depth to us to where we can press into God and receive something from God for ourselves and carry that instead of depending on others? You know, the word keteret is used in the Hebrew in regards to incense. And it means a bonding. It's interesting because it It shows the coming together of praise and worship, prayer, and intercession. Praise and worship, prayer, and intercession bond and come together. And it's something that's awesome, powerful. You know, a lot of times you'll have people that pray, and then you'll have worshipers. But if you'll bring the praise and worship, prayer, and intercession together, there's something that's so powerful with that. That's the incense. But it also shows... That is God's people, there's got to be unity. Are y'all hearing me? There's got to be unity. You can always tell when people are hungry. Sometimes in services, there's, there's, you can tell that people aren't really hungry for God. You know, they shuffle about, they're bored. But other times you can see that there's a hunger and a desperation. In people. They're longing, they're, they're drawing out, they're hungry for more of God. And it's that, that unity when people come together and they're hungry for God that draws the presence of God. But you can feel almost sometimes a hindrance in the spirit because some people, they're so dead spiritually. They're bored in church. They shuffle about. They just, it's like they, it's not a big deal to them. But you get people into a room that's in unity and they're really desperate for more of God. And it's so powerful. It just draws that. But we've got to be in unity. So the incense in the Bible, the sachet of myrrh, between the breast of the Shunammite. It's interesting in the Song of Solomon. Listen to this. She said, while the king was at his table, where was he at the table? Remember I talked about the table of the Lord? My perfume spread its fragrance. My beloved is to me a sachet of myrrh resting between my breasts. My beloved is to me a cluster of henna blossoms from the vineyards of Engedi. 
but she described this sachet of myrrh over her heart that was spreading a fragrance. Listen, our heart should burn for God and be on fire for Him, just like the coal from the altar. I hope you see this symbolism. If your heart is burning for Him like a coal from the altar, then it's like that incense of worship hits that fire and it goes up into God as a fragrant incense. But sometimes people in churches are lifting their hand or whatever, and their hearts are so cold, and they're so dead, and even though they're going through the motions, there's not much to it. But when somebody's really in love with the Lord and there's a, their heart is burning within them, that's an incense that goes up before the Lord. That's why this woman said, He's like a, a sachet of myrrh between my breasts because it's over her heart. There was an incense that was coming from her heart to the Lord. Psalms 141, 1 through 2, I, I call to you, Lord. Come quickly to me. Hear me when I call. My prayer is to be set before you like incense. May the lifting of my hands be like an evening sacrifice. Do you see that? And so David understood the incense. This is all through the scriptures where there's an incense that's coming up before the Lord. The incense was made of four parts. Balsam, which is a fragrant resin that comes from the balsam fir tree. Once, And here's what it represents. It comes from a tree. Once we are crucified with Christ, our lives become a fragrant incense. You've got to go to the cross. How many times did you hear Steve Hill say this? Christian, I mean, uh, religion is just hanging around the cross, but true Christianity is getting on the cross. Amen. There's got to be a crucified with Christ, Galatians 2.20, that I'm no longer alive, but Christ living his life through me. That's the balsam, okay? It's going to the tree of the cross and being crucified. The anxia, okay, is supposed to have healing properties. How many knows there's healing in worship? There really is. There's a flow of healing. The galbanum is a gum that is to be pierced, and whenever the tree is pierced, it comes out. And whenever we go through sufferings in Christ, when we go through sufferings, it releases something in our lives of worship. We've got to learn, all of us do, that when we're going through sufferings, to not complain, but to worship through them. There's something about that. When we learn that what Paul said, you know, Paul understood, let me share in the fellowship of his sufferings. Okay, he understood that that was part of worship. Did y'all hear that? You know, people that are suffering for the Lord, that suffering, as you're praising Him, is actually a fragrant incense before the Lord. It's a worship. But a lot of people, whenever they're going through things, they get angry and they complain through it. All of us have done it, but we've got to learn to let it be a worship to the Lord. The frankincense, pure white, it's bitter tasting like trials, but it produces a righteous life. Frankincense, being pure white, is the worship of a righteous life before the Lord. Those are the four parts that make up the incense. Salt was added later, but it speaks of our lives being salt in the earth. So what about the anointing? You know what made up the anointing oil? Number one, the myrrh. It's a gum which comes from the stem of a low thorny ragged tree in the Terebinth family growing in Arabia. It's used for medicinal purposes and correcting secretions on dead bodies. It comes from the tree when the tree is bruised. And of course, Esther had treatments of myrrh. Listen, everybody wants the anointing. But what you've got to understand is that the anointing is not going to flow until there is a crushing in your life, until there is a death. Once that kernel of wheat falls to the ground, once you fall to the ground and you're completely crucified with Christ, then the anointing really begins to flow. 
God wants to use people, but a lot of people resist this. It's once that the grape is crushed that the wine comes. It's once that the olive is crushed that the oil comes. That's the myrrh. I'm talking about the anointing oil, okay? The cinnamon was the bark of a small evergreen tree in the laurel family. It's used for flavoring primarily as medicine. I'm sorry, used for flavoring primarily, but it's also used medicinally. This speaks of the sweetness of the anointing. The anointing brings a sweetness to our lives, doesn't it? We love God's presence. We love the anointing. The calamus grows in Arabian India, and it's mentioned in Song of Solomon 4.14 and Ezekiel 27.19. It's a sweet root, highly prized as a spice. It grows in miry soil. Listen to this. It grows in miry soil, and the more it is beaten, the more sweet its fragrance is. Let me tell you about the Lord. He's not going to put people like some hot house plant. If you think that when you get saved, that all of a sudden, and there's people I think that believe this, that once you accept Christ, you live in some kind of little bubble where nothing can happen to you. You're not going to go through anything. You're just in this little bubble. Your little bubble's going to burst. <laughs> that is not the Christian life, okay? But this speaks of a life of suffering. Listen, once we're going through things, and let me tell you about the Lord. He's not going to put somebody in like um, some kind of hothouse plant, like in a greenhouse. The Lord will take people, once they're saved, and place them in a spiritual wilderness. But you're still expected to bear fruit in that wilderness. You've got to learn to be like Elijah, that there was no rain, but he got underneath that cloudless sky, and he travailed until a cloud came the size of a man's hand. You've got to learn to be somebody that God can put in the wilderness and put in a dead, dry place, and your roots will go down, and you'll begin to bear fruit. And, you know, that's exactly how I felt when we first came to, to Rockwall, especially within this area. It was just spiritually dead. And God had to get us to a place, being crucified with Christ, and just to keep pressing through and pressing through until the heavens opened and God started pouring out His Spirit. But we've got to learn to be that. What about the missionaries that go to dead, dry places? Bless her heart, Rachel, she talked about when her and Mika moved to Finland. She was frustrated because she had, she had come in later in the game and came into a great move of the Spirit here in this ministry. And then God plucked her out of America, out of this great move of the Lord in her life, and planted her in Finland where it was dead spiritually. Mika was used to it. Okay, he grew up there. But Rachel was like, man, what have I gotten into? And they had to, Rachel had to dig down some roots and begin to pray until heaven came down. And now, you know, there are missionaries in Finland, but now you're hearing all the time, we had an awesome service last week. People got saved. People got healed. People got delivered. The power came down. The gifts flowed. People all over the ground everywhere. But when they first got there, it was not like that. Now, they had the anointing, okay, but they had, it was like Elijah. They had to birth. They, there they were in a cloudless sky, a desert spiritually. But they began to pray and seek God until heaven came down. See, that's the incense. You, the Kronos time, remember? You just keep offering up incense. You keep praying. You keep worshiping. You keep pressing in. You keep being faithful. And then pretty soon, heaven starts coming down. And then you keep pressing in, and more of heaven comes down. Then you keep pressing in, and it just keeps going. I think a lot of Christians, a lot of ministers, and a lot of churches, and a lot of ministries across the board 
they sought God, heaven showed up to some degree, and then they thought, we've arrived, and they just parked there. Pretty soon the river turned into a pond, and now there they are. Listen, friend, you've got to keep going after God, amen? Don't ever stop. There's always more. The question is, is your shadow healing the sick right now? Okay. Then there's more of the Lord. Okay. Are you seeing everything that you read about in the book of Acts right now? Not necessarily. There's more. There's always more of Him to press into. Okay. That's the thing about revival. We've got to keep pressing into more of the Lord. If you keep pressing in, keep asking Him for more. I remember when the Brownsville revival broke out, you kept, they had these, um, like a logo or whatever. I think there's some bumper stickers, different things, but it was more Lord. They kept crying out for more and more and more. And you know what? God responded. And the revival kept deepening and it kept increasing and perpetuating. The cassia is a spice which grows in various parts of the east. It's similar to cinnamon, but it comes from a shrub. Now listen to this. A shrub that grows only at a great height of around 8,000 feet. This shows the need for us to learn how to pray and access the realm of heaven on earth. We've got to learn to get up that mountain into God's presence. I'm going to tell you something, because I'm talking to a lot of young ministers and those calling to the ministry. You better learn how to have a relationship with God for yourself. You better learn how to climb that mountain yourself. You better learn His voice for yourself. You better learn how to pray, I'm just telling you. Because the little crutches you have in your life right now where you're leaning on other people's anointing, you go out witnessing and you, you may not realize it, but you're leaning a lot more on Brother Anthony's anointing than what you probably realize. And you come in here and you're kind of leaning on mine a little bit. And I'm not saying that pridefully. It's just the way it is. But what's going to happen when God plucks you out one day and sticks you in a desert and says, now you bear fruit. They're not around. Now you bear fruit. So that's going to be the time that you go, oh, Jesus. You're going to start seeking God. Hey man, I know how it is because whenever God first started moving in my life, the truth be told, I had went down to the, the Brownsville Revival. It's the first time I was around that level of a move of God. And I went there and God powerfully touched me. I was baptized in fire. My life was transformed. But I, I depended on going there and receiving more of the Lord because I didn't know for myself how to walk in it yet. And that's fine because I was young in it, you know. And so I kept going down there receiving more of the Lord. But while I was doing that, I was also trying to learn how to pray for myself and learn how to um, get to know the Holy Spirit and how to cooperate with Him. And pretty soon, I began to understand that this is not something that I have to depend on others. I can access this myself. And that's what I'm trying to say to you. Is when the Brownsville Revival kind of turned and, and, and took a lull for a little while. Now it's the Bay Revival. But anyway, when it took that lull, it, I felt the loss. How many of you feel sometimes a little dry and you think, man, I'm ready to come to River of Life and get a fresh touch? How many of you felt that way? Okay. What would happen to you, though, if River of Life was no more? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, no! Yeah, I know. I know that feeling. I'm serious. I've been there. I know. And that's what I'm trying to tell you. Get your roots down deep into the Lord for yourself. Because I'm being serious about this. Some of you may think, if, you'll, if you will listen to what I'm saying about this tabernacle, what I've taught on, and you will go to the labor, and you'll go to the table of showbread, I'm telling you, 
that you can come into God's presence and His glory will be so thick it will surprise you. You can get into a deep, profound depth of the glory of God in your personal life that will astound you. But it's got to be this pattern. If you're going to try to do this and it's not the pattern of the Lord, you're going to find yourself frustrated. You know how many people try to pray? When I first started praying, you know, I knew that great men and women of God of times past had awesome prayer lives. I knew that. So I said, I'm going to learn how to pray. Back then, it was before iPods, that little CD player. I was in a room by myself. And that y'all have heard me say this many times. I put it on, I said, I'm going to pray. And it was dead. It was dry. It was boring. After a little while, I'm just, you know, hitting my head up against the wall. Thud. 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 And I, I was desperate. I was like, God, i got to learn how to pray. That's where all of this comes from, friend. I'm telling you, I can give you a shortcut. If you will listen to me, you won't have to do that. You won't have to beat your head up against the wall and spend all these years learning. But now, and I say this, this is just the truth. You ask my wife, now I can I know the pattern of the Lord to go to the labor and go to the table of showbread. And as I'm taking communion, and just there, I'm telling you, the glory comes. Why? Because the blood. This glory in church today was here earlier when I was here praying. Just as strong, maybe more so. It's something that you can have in your own life. No, people say you can't live like that. It's not true. You can. You can walk with the Lord. You can walk in His presence. No, Rodney Hart Brown used to say, listen, I want to live where my cup is, is right at that place where one more drop just overflows. He said, I want to live there all the time. Press into that. Be hungry for more of God. There is more. But it's that incense of worship that takes you into the glory. Well, David Hogan had went through a horrible trial for a couple years. But he said now in his life, he said he can just worship the Lord and he'll feel the presence now. But God had to put him through those trials to kill him. I'm just telling you, so he can be resurrected in Christ. And I've been through some things. Okay, my wife's been through some things. But you go through some things and you die to self. And because of that now... There's a humility and there's a resurrected life. The more dead you are in Christ, the more dead you are, the more Christ comes through. Okay? The more crucified with Christ you are, the more resurrection life comes through. You can't have both. So the truth of the matter is, it's like this. You have a glass. The glass is always either going to have water or air in it. There's not some... You know, black hole that you're going to create in your glass, okay? Some kind of vacuum. If you do, that is weird, okay? But your glass, the more filled with water it is, the air disappears. What I'm trying to say is the more dead you are in Christ, the more that resurrection life starts coming up and flowing. So once you've been through some things and God can crush you and now... Now he says, I can entrust you with my presence and you're not going to get prideful. Then you start learning about the tabernacle pattern. You start coming into the glory. The tendency of a lot of people is the glory comes in their life and they're in the presence. And pretty soon they get a big head about it and they get prideful. So the glory has to live. And God doesn't want that. He wants us to be able to walk in humility and power. Amen. But in your prayer time with the Lord in the morning when you seek him. This is where prayer without ceasing is birthed. You can't walk throughout your day like a little monk. 
Okay, okay, which which now you would have your hoodie, right? Put your hoodie on. I had a friend of mine in Bible school. He would, he would do that. He's hilarious. But I'd see him. They had some prayer walking trail where I was at. I never liked it because I'd be right in the middle of prayer, and then some person would come up and start talking to me. So I'd go hide somewhere. But my friend said the way he alleviated it was, his name was Sean. He would, I would see him out there. He'd put his hoodie on, and he would pull the string. <laughs> so it was like this, right? And he, I'm serious. He'd put his hands in his hoodie, you know, and he'd walk real fast through there, and he was praying. <laughs> Some of you guys remember. I think my dad remembers Sean. He was hilarious, man. He's from Louisiana. He was, I think he might be related to the Duck Dynasty people, okay? He just needed a beard. Yeah. He would come to school and bring these shrimp, man, like I've never seen, like some kind of huge. He's like, yeah, my family just caught these, you know? It's like, okay. Yeah. Some crazy story about these little swamp rats he caught as a pet. And he, <laughs> he said he, he would blow dry them and they'd poof out real big. These are Louisiana people, man. I don't know what's going on. He said, but they were so cute when they were all poofy. I was like, man, there ain't no swamp rat that's cute, man. I don't know. Listen to what y'all are doing to me. Okay, let me get back. Prayer without ceasing. Yeah, I got to close it out. Prayer without ceasing. So whenever you spend time with the Lord in the morning, especially worshiping and praying in the Spirit, it's like your inner man is ignited with a fresh fire. And as you go throughout your day, you're in tune with him. It's just like you would tune in a radio to a station. It would, you would get that frequency just right, and it was real clear. And when you pray in the morning, you spend time with the Lord, you're tuning into him, and your spirit man is being ignited with a fresh fire, and you're walking in the spirit throughout your day. So walking in the Spirit isn't like my friend Sean all day long, you know, you're walking like this and praying because you can't do that. You've got to go throughout your life. But as you're working and whatever it is that you're doing, your inner man is a fresh fire and is in tune with the Lord. Also walking in the Spirit, as you're crucified with Christ, as you, as you get up in the morning and die to self. I just want to tell you, some of you guys say, well, practically, Pastor Scott, how do I get deep in the Lord? Number one, when you get up in the morning and your flesh does not want to get up and pray, if you keep giving in to that flesh, your life will be spiritually shallow. I'm just telling you. You've got to learn to die to that flesh and spend time with him. And that's where it comes from. It's, it's the, this is where the rubber meets the road. Okay, and I'm just telling you the truth. How am I going to go deep in the Lord? Well, number one, you've got to spend time with him. If you read the Bible, Jesus called the twelve unto him. In the, in the book of Mark, it says he called the twelve unto him, and then it says that they might be with him. Did you catch that? He called the twelve unto him that they might be with him. And because they spent time with him, then when he rose from the dead and ascended, and they preached the gospel, you remember? It says they were brought before the Sanhedrin, and it says that those religious leaders took notice that they had been with Jesus. They saw Jesus. It's spending time with the King. Being with Him. That is where the anointing comes from. There's no shortcuts. But let me tell you, if, if you'll follow this pattern of coming to the labor and, 
and coming in through communion, the, the, the blood of Jesus, and, and coming to the glory and, and spend time with the Holy Spirit, the glory of God will begin to come in your life in such an awesome way. There's times, I'm only saying this to stir up hunger in people, but there's times that the glory is thicker, or just as thick or thicker um, in my personal time with the Lord as it is here. But if it wasn't in my personal time with the Lord, it wouldn't be here. It's got to start there. You can't ignore the Lord all week and then think He's going to show up on Saturday, you know. You've got to spend time with Him and soak in that glory. And all of us are spiritual sponges, so the more that you're soaking Him in, you know, and here lately, the Lord's really been settling over me at night. But I remember Pastor Kilpatrick used to say that he was so drunk during the days of revival that uh, the first three months of the revival that he couldn't hardly get out of bed. I mean, he was just drunk in the spirit, and they had to carry him everywhere he went. But listen, there's there's more. Just I'm saying all this that there be a stirring up of hunger in people for more. Don't stay where you're at. You know what the worst thing that you could possibly do is to start camping out spiritually. Don't ever do that. I understand that you may stay somewhere for a short time to to really get established in whatever God's doing, but the Lord is always moving. The Lord is never like a pond that ceases movement. He is always like a river that is always moving. So there should always be some kind of a forward momentum in your life spiritually where you're going from glory to glory to glory to glory. So I want to challenge you. I'm about to close this out, but I want to challenge you. To start seeking the Lord. First off, go to the labor and examine yourself. Then go before the table of showbread. Take communion. I recommend that. But get washed and covered in the blood of Jesus. It is the blood that brings the glory. It's not your righteousness. It's the blood. And if you'll get a revelation about the blood, and you'll understand the power of His blood, and you'll understand that it's the blood on that mercy seat of the ark that brings the glory down on that blood. If you understand the power of the blood, then you're also going to understand that the glory of God will come where that blood is. Then, from the, the showbread, then you you look at the lampstand where the Holy Spirit, now He's coming and beginning to move in your life. And you move with Him. You know how I learned how to cooperate with the Holy Spirit was learning it in my own personal prayer life. You learn how to hear His voice. You learn how to do what He's telling you to do and move with Him in prayer. And then you learn... When, once you know his voice and you know how to cooperate with him, then he can use you in services or he can use you out on the streets, whatever, because he knows that you're cooperating with him. But you have to c- connect and move with him. I can't come in here and just do whatever I want to do and think that God's going to anoint that. Because he's very merciful, he knows that there's needs in people and he, he might move to touch their needs. But that still would not be something that he would be pleased with me he wants me to just listen to him and move with him but I want you guys to be stirred up in a hunger in you for more of the Lord because the day is coming when America is going to be ablaze in the fires of revival Dallas is going to be a hub and when that revival is fully ignited God needs people that are going to grab that fire and start doing what he's called to do. He's trying to prepare a remnant. There's other remnant groups out there that God is preparing them, but you've got to listen to what the Spirit is speaking to you. 
He's calling you right now to go deeper in Him now so that He can prepare you. You know, the last couple days, for about three days, the glory was so thick. I remember telling my wife, I got up, I didn't realize it. I got up, just used the restroom in the middle of the night, and I was staggering under the glory like this, and I had to catch myself because I was half asleep. I was like, what in the world? And for three days, it was like that. This is the third day. And today the Lord spoke to me and, and he said, I have to start, whenever the church is going to a new level, I have to start it in you first. That's what those three days were. And then once you get established in it, then it'll release to the church. But see, there's always got to be that continual movement for more of him. That we're not, we're going from glory to glory. We're not settling and, and, and camping somewhere. This is what I want to close with real quick. I need to talk about this, about personal freedoms. Last week I talked about personal convictions. Y'all remember? Here's some more things about that. I'm going to pick up where I left off. Because I want to make sure that just because you have certain convictions in your life, that you're not getting lifted up with pride over people that have different convictions. Because there are certain things that all of us need to understand or just the way it is. And, and the Bible says it, and we just got to accept it and live by it. But there's also other areas where it's personal convictions. So I talked about last week, so you know where I'm going with this. But here's what I want to ask you about this. Galatians 5.1 says, It's for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm then and do not let yourself be burned again with the yoke of slavery. When you're dealing with personal convictions in your life, maybe entertainment, just whatever it is that you've got in your life, let me ask you this. When you're considering these areas, number one, does something grieve the Holy Spirit? You need to ask that. You need to ask the Holy Spirit. Because the last thing you want to do is grieve the person that you desperately need him in your life, all over your life, filling your life, saturating life, filling your home. The last thing you want to do is grieve his heart so much that he's pulling back. Number two. Consider the spiritual atmosphere of your home. How is the atmosphere of your home? Whenever you go to your home, can you feel God's peace in His presence? If not, find out why. Is something that I'm allowing in my life that's causing my home to be sterile? Um, an atmosphere of the glory is not there? And begin to ask the Lord, what is it? And it may not necessarily be what you think it is. It can even be a religious spirit. It can even be pride. Whatever it is. But while you're considering your personal freedoms, let me ask you to consider 1 Thessalonians 5.22, which says to avoid even the appearance of evil. Are y'all hearing me? Avoid even the appearance of evil. So even though something you may feel a freedom about it, you need to ask yourself, is this given the appearance of evil to others? Could this hurt my witness? Whatever it is that I think I can do, would this cause people to not respect me and respect whenever I try to witness to them that they're not going to listen to me? Whatever that is. You've got to be careful, friend, because people are watching Christians fly off the handle, do something. It can hurt your witness with other people. Can it? But to avoid even the appearance of evil. 
So even though you feel some kind of a liberty there, and you can do it in confidence and faith, you feel like the Holy Spirit's fine with it, then you need to ask yourself, though, wait a second, how's this going to affect other people? Because I love people enough that I'm not going to do anything in any way that would hurt them or would cause my witness to be hurt. The Lord spoke to me something years ago that I'll never forget. And this is what I'm talking about with avoiding the appearance of evil and also considering other people. How many of those little children do not understand what you understand? I'm going somewhere with this. I want you all to hear me. I remember one time I was watching a movie called Monsters, Inc. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the movie. But the Lord told me to not show it to a child. And it shocked me because I wasn't even talking to the Lord. I wasn't thinking about anything. And the Lord said, do not show that to a child. I mean, as you hear from God, it affects you. And I said, Lord, why? And you know what? Since I've been in the ministry almost 20 years, I have, I can tell you, some of you may not have ever ha- had anything weird happen to you as a kid. I don't know. But I'm going to tell you that being in the ministry as long as I have, there's a lot of people that's had some really weird stuff happen to them when they were kids. I'm just telling you. They've had weird stuff, paranormal stuff. Now think about it for a minute. This is what I'm trying to give you an example about personal convictions. That movie may have no effect on you at all. But what about a little child that you're watching it with? How does it affect them? You have to think about them. Now, you, you watch that with a kid. What's the message of that movie? The message of the movie is that if something ugly and scary comes to you in the middle of the night, talk to it and have fun with it. Now, you can process this information in your mind and know that's not a good idea. But a little bitty kid, there's no line of distinction there. You see where I'm going with this? You've got to think about how does this affect little children? What's going on in their mind? Because I'm telling you that I've had a lot of people over the years tell me, man, when I was a child, I had this creepy thing happen to me, and they'll tell me some story. And the last thing you want is to put in a child's mind that that's fine and normal. And also, um, I don't see how a Christian could be okay with something like Harry Potter because it's blatant witchcraft. You have a problem with that? Just get over it, man, because the Bible is clear on witchcraft. God hates it. It's an abomination. But Satan targets these little children trying to get them to be okay with witchcraft. And we're living in such a weird time that people are so deceived and they're so far out there mentally that they'll sit there and say, I'm a Christian, but I'm also a witch, or I'm also this. I'm also a homosexual. I'm also... You cannot be both. Either you're a Christian or you're this. Okay? And then another thing God spoke to me about was um, I was watching um, just a, one of these innocent kid movies that I don't remember. It's maybe something like Santa Claus or something where, they, you know, they have uh, the magic or whatever about the little kids. And I'm not saying for you that's a problem. But let me ask you this. The Lord spoke to me and said, though, that it can be a stepping stone toward the occult. Now think about it. Little kids don't know the difference. So they see these movies that that just have to do with magic or whatever, and it's just make-believe, science fiction, whatever you want to call it, okay? But in their mind, what is the difference between that and witchcraft? Blatant witchcraft, spellcasting witchcraft, conjuring. What's the difference in their mind? They can't make a distinction. So just because you can maybe handle something... Let me tell you, I had a guy one time argue with me. He was saying, there's no difference between something like, you. I think he said Superman or something. 
in Harry Potter because it's all make-believe. And I said, no, there's a big difference. Okay, The big difference is Superman is just a science fiction thing. Witchcraft is witchcraft. It's real. It's witchcraft. It's not just some make-believe thing. But some people, in their mind, they cannot make a distinction between it. And you have to be careful that by your liberty that you're not causing somebody else to stumble. Do you see where I'm going with this? Especially with little kids. So just be careful with that. Also with baby Christians. Some people are so spiritually young in the Lord. They can't handle anything. They, they can't. And um, they just need to be focused on their walk with Jesus. Okay, But you've got to be real careful around baby Christians what you're doing. Because you may be able to handle it, but it could really stumble, make them stumble bad. You know, the same thing with going out witnessing. You need to be careful. Maybe you can handle going to some really hardcore places witnessing. But you take the wrong person with you, and you can turn around, and they're, they're falling into sin behind you. You see what I'm saying? Is this making sense? I'm just, in my, what I'm going for in this is this, that you think about how does my so-called freedom affect somebody else? That's all I'm asking you to think about. Am I avoiding the appearance of evil? Is my freedom a stumbling block to somebody, even like a little child? Is it causing them to stumble? Just think about that. Because the Lord, if it would cause somebody to stumble, the Lord would have us refrain for their sake. Because we love them. Amen? Alright, I'm going to pray with people here in just a moment. Do you remember during the worship time, I played that. I asked Verzak to play that with Steve Solomon. He was worshiping the Lord. He became a Christian. Brother Anthony remembers Steve, don't you? Pray for you. Powerful. He became a Christian. He's, he's a Jewish guy. He grew up Jewish. He has a powerful testimony. But anyway, I love that because he was worshiping the Lord, but he was worshiping about the name. And I always thought that was probably his most famous song that he did. And you know why I think that is? He's actually from the tribe of Levi. And I believe that as he worshiped about the name of the Lord, the name of God, I believe that there was a special anointing on that. And remember what Jesus said? The prayer Jesus taught us to pray was in line with the tabernacle because he said, Our Father, we are children of God by the blood. So you come through the blood. Then what was the next step? Hallowed be your name. It's worship. There's something about worshiping the name of the Lord. Hallowing his name. This isn't in your notes, but it will be in the digital. The name Yahweh, the name Jehovah Mishpah, our judge. There's ten names that I recommend that you memorize. Okay, Jehovah Mishpah, our righteous judge. Jehovah Nisi, our banner, our victory. Jehovah Rohi, our shepherd. Rapha, our healer. Shama, the presence with us. Sitkanu, our righteousness. Mekadesh, our sanctification. Jehovah Jireh, our provider. And Jehovah Shalom, our peace. Those ten names... There's something about, as you worship the Lord and you're worshiping His name, hallowing His name, there's something about that that Jesus taught us. Okay, our Father which is, our, which is in heaven, hallowed be your name. There's something about that that releases something from heaven very powerful. And regarding praise and worship, prayer and intercession, there's got to be freedom in your praise. In the New Testament, there's not a lot of patterns about this because they draw from the Old Testament. 
you know what the seven Hebrew words for praise are? Yada is the first one. It means to extend the hand throughout your hands in worship. Shabbat, which means to be loud. Yeah. Zamar, which means to touch as an instrument, play an instrument. Barak means to kneel. Tauda means to give thanks. Halal, where we get hallelujah. Listen to this. It means to boast, rave, celebrate, dance. Um, it's similar to, be, it says actually to be clamorously foolish, which be careful with that. You want to hurt somebody, hurt yourself. You want to fall down the stairs like Pastor Stephen, did you fall down the stairs? Oh, dear brother, I'm just kidding. But you, to be clamorously foolish, we just heard a loud bang. I don't know what happened. But just being free, okay, that's where you get hallelujah. But think about this. Tehillah, to sing. These are the patterns of God. The patterns. To be loud, to lift your hands, to shout, to dance, to be free. Okay? So in your praise and worship, prayer, and intercession, that freedom. All right, here's what I want to close with. I want God's taking some of you guys really deep. One of the things God's been doing is doing a lot of inner healing. I want you to think about this as we close, and I want you to pray about this. Sometimes because of inner healing issues, it's easy for people to see the faults in others but not see it in themselves. Isn't that the case? Jesus said to get the board out of your own eye before picking the speck. It's easy to focus on the speck in the other eye, right? But what I felt the Lord saying was this, that people take a moment to ask forgiveness for the things out of their own emotional inner healing issues because of their issues where they have hurt other people. Maybe because of your own personal inner healing issues, maybe you have compromised your convictions and been unfaithful to the Lord through lust or idols or the love of money or something like that. Maybe because of your own inner healing issues, maybe you've had self-hatred suicidal try wanting to hurt yourself or maybe because of your own inner healing issues you've lashed out and hurt other people and i feel the lord saying tonight that if you'll pray about this there's going to be some healing emotionally there needs to be some healing there really does i feel in my heart that there's people in this ministry that need some more inner healing okay you need closure you need to be able to move on with your life because God cannot fully use somebody until they're inner healed. Because if you're not, then you're just going to be so easily offended. You know, whenever you go to minister to hurt people, I've heard this for many, many years. When you go to minister to hurt people, hurt people many times will hurt other people. That's what they do. They lash out. And um, you've got to be healed and whole. So that whenever they lash out towards you, it doesn't rip something back open in you and you get offended and get unforgiveness and there's this thing. So the Lord is wanting to bring a lot of inner healing. So Berzak, if you would, put on some worship for me. And let's go ahead and shut down recordings. And I want people to pray about this. Is there areas in your life, because of your inner healing issues, where you've compromised with sin? Maybe you were lonely. And so you started being sexually active. Or maybe because of your inner healing issues, you've hurt yourself. You've wanted to be suicidal. You hated yourself. 
or you've lashed out and hurt other people. Just pray about that for a minute. Just ask the Lord's forgiveness. Get under the blood, and the Lord's going to bring some healing. Okay?